Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Fiction. Science fiction. Horror. Fantasy, crime, LGBT, thriller. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. 
Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Now entered the house of mystery. With your hosts, Eric Shapiro, David North Martino, John Copenhaver, and Al Warren. FM Los Angeles. 102.3 FM Riverside. And 1050 AM Palm Springs. Welcome back into the House of Mystery. I'm Al Warren. Mr. Dave Martino is here. I am. Here I am. Yeah, you're there. <laughs> I'm here. I'm there. You I'm are here. there. Here Present. everywhere. Another, another great summer day yes somewhere especially up your way yeah well it's always hot yeah. where i'm wherever i am it's hot <laughs> that's right it's hot sunny <laughs> beautiful mm. people just love it they're always in yes. a good mood around me <laughs> <laughs> absolutely al what are you laughing at what is, i am the epitome of cheer <laughs> you are so now, it, Citadel. So you didn't watch Citadel. What, what, what's your latest movie? How come you haven't been doing any movie reviews? What's going on? I see something about Speakman, but Speakman is 1990s. What's going on? That's 1991. Yeah, that's yeah. that's a great film. That's coming. That's going to Blu-ray again as a uh, 4K transfer. Have they got nothing better to do than 1991 Speakman movie? That's a great film. What was that again? Uh, uh, I've already I lost the name. Well, I, I, I any time I've seen any of his films, it's the same. Yeah, his first movie is great. Um, uh, Perfect Weapon. There it is. Great. It's a great martial art film. Massive. One of the best. See a little Boston accent talking. Marshall. Marshall. Did I say that? Yeah. You turn into Boston when you go, Marshall. Oh, no. My name is John Kennedy, and this is Marshall. Ka. Park the car in Harvard Yard. Well, so so you Marshall. Marshall. No movie reviews. You're slacking on your job. I know. You know? What are you doing other than going around partying all the time and you're and going to concerts, you know? Whose concert are you going to now? I see you got another thing going on. Well, it won't be into August. That's Lita Ford. Lita Ford. Lita Ford. Wow. Yeah. Are you are but you're you get to meet her and go in the back room. So I guess what she she got you pushing her wheelchair around? Is that are you wheel wheelchair? Oh you're gonna her? get you're gonna get emails for that one. Well at this point they think I'm an ageist. I'm as old as Lita Ford, so I can say this. Yes. You know. Uh so you're gonna be pushing her wheelchair out. So she's still rocking and rolling. Come on. Oh yeah, the pictures make you look that way or her that way, but come on. <laughs> It's like they say that about me, but then you have to wheel me out into the stage. Come on. It's going to be great. She's going to be at the Cabot, Beverly, Massachusetts. I'm trying <laughs> I'm oh, trying boy. to get rid of my Boston accent. No, I want to have the mop. You want to be like Boston, boy. <laughs> Boston. She might find that rather attractive. Yeah. Well, I'm she going with my wife, so, it. you know, it's not going to. Oh, that's right. She couldn't hear at her age. Come on. <laughs> all that loud music all this time. Um, yeah, she hasn't got a new album, says she. She's not. There's no new product coming out. She's just kind of no, not back. since the last couple of years. She she had an album a couple of years ago. Oh, really? Yeah. Wow, I didn't know that. Was there any hits? Yeah. I don't know if there were any hits. You know, a lot of these the album's good. 
It's a good album. Was it called he- but, Heavy Metal Floss or something? <laughs> <laughs> I, I forget what it's called. I don't know if it's Living Like a Runaway or Relentless or Living with Your Hair in a Bun at yes. 65. <laughs> 61, right? <laughs> you you got to make it rhyme. Yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> Jeez, big comeback to her. Well, Joe Jett's yeah. still touring, but then she yeah. never really stopped. No. Seems like she's always been around, so, you know. Yeah, Lita Ford's been around for a bit. I mean, I think they, she was married to Jim Gillette, and they were, they left the country for a while after th- 2001, and then they returned and stuff. And she's been on tour, I think, for the last few years. Is it at casinos? <laughs> it's everywhere, yeah. Well, th- this is going to be at, uh, I think, the Cabot, which is like a, uh, like a little theater. Wow, that's great. Yeah. Good, good for her. She, yeah. She's making money and doing what she did for 30, 40 years, and yeah. she didn't have to go to work at, like, the Blockbuster or McDonald's or anything. Yeah, like me, right? Yeah, yeah. Supersize. <laughs> Supersize it. Well, well, speaking of Blockbuster, we've got an author on today that um, now he is writing, a, we call it Young Adult Steampunk Fantasy Book. So let's mm-hmm. find out what that is. Let's help this this old guy here. So now the new book is called Hunted by Fire, and it's Mr. Jim Hepburn. So thank you for being here, Jim. Yeah, no problem. Thanks for having me on, Al. Thanks for having me on, Dave. Well, Jim, uh, now let's let's find out this. Now help this old guy here. It's like steampunk. Yeah. So what what does that mean for someone that's like Lita Ford's age. <laughs> <laughs> well, it kind of means, you know, it's it's a fantasy world with elements of technology, of steam power. So, you know, typical uh, typical fantasy might have, you know, sword and board, horse and horse and ride kind of uh, kind of gig, but uh, but steampunk could have have a lot more things. It could have steam engines in it, it could have airships, it could have uh, it could have all sorts of stuff. So it kind of opens up uh, another avenue in a lot of ways. But but, but what does that mean? So like. What timing is this? What 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 time does this happen um, in? So your book takes place in what year? It's a it's a fantasy world, so it would be in a, in a medieval esque style of uh, of world. There, you could probably think of it uh, probably something around the fourteen hundreds, maybe if if somebody had maybe figured out how to build a steam engine a little bit ahead of time. So you know, a little bit of a uh, little bit of a combination of elements there that kind of go into making it. So, and steampunk itself is just kind of the, um, you're throwing in steam-powered industrial world kind of into your into your medieval time? Yeah, a little, little touches of it here and there uh, in Hunted by Fire specifically. It's mostly a, just a medieval world there. It's just, the, it's, it's on the cusp. It's, it's kind of coming up, uh, it's dawning on the world, I guess, the technology in a lot of ways. So it, uh, it, and it's used to kind of open up a lot of possibilities for the characters and for the story. And, uh, and yeah, something, something other than just your typical, you know, using magic, sort of fighting sword, tooth and nail uh, sort of story. Everyday stuff. Yeah. Like, um, yeah. <laughs> depending on what you do, but yeah, of course, yeah, yeah. lots yeah, of worlds well. you could jump in there. Well, so now, how does someone like you develop this? So, what are you creating this fantasy world first, and then putting characters into it, or are you creating characters and decide, well, I'm going to put them into a world that I'm going to make? Like, where does this start? Yeah, so it's definitely a little bit more of the second. Tolkien. Uh, did the first, built the whole world, uh, made lore for it and history and the whole thing, and then decided the story that was going to unfold that he wanted to focus his writing on. I was kind of doing it the other way, similar 
to how George R. R. Martin had done it a little bit, where you start with a concept and, and some characters and, and the sort of story you want to tell, and then you build the world around them and, and spread it out as they go in a way that still feels real and, uh, and immersive. So Tolkien, is this someone I should pick up and read? That would be, uh, be J.R.R., yes. <laughs> might have seen a movie or two, you never know. <laughs> And they're from back in 2004, so there might not be as much of an excuse. But uh, Right, but, right. Yeah. Well, I'll, I'll look on Amazon and see if I can find this Tolkien. It's about a person. ring. I'll give you a hint. <laughs> ring. Yeah. So <laughs> if, in creating a world, what's the rules? What are your rules when you create a fantasy world? Well, you got to – you got. it's all got to make sense. It's all got to uh, – there's got to be some kind of structure that a reader can delve into and – and and latch on to to have some kind of understanding of um of what could or could not happen in the story. And so as long as you're faithful to that, you can do you can do anything that you can imagine within those kind of bound sets. But you're creating magic too, right? So when you have fantasy magic sort of rules, whose whose rules do you follow? Like I'm I'm just trying to figure this out because I want to write a book like this. And um so how do I do that? Well, actually, for the magic part, I avoided that a little bit. In my world, in, in Hunted by Fire, magic is kind of, it's kind of ritualistic and it's, it's distant and it's, it's not something, if, if somebody ran into that, it would be, they would have a, they would have a reaction similar to how we would react to that probably nowadays. Um, um, maybe, or maybe, or maybe how people would have reacted back in the 1400s, kind of, you know, with fear and, and misunderstanding. So it's not, it's not commonplace by any means. Uh, so, unfortunately, I can't help you there because I totally avoided that myself. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, do you build, you, you know, your, your magical system, do you, do you build it off of historical sources or is this just your imagination? Do you, do you sit down and, and, and create and, and kind of craft the system uh, that you use within, within the novel? I, it would be very much the second one where you would sit down and, and craft it and figure out how, how it works, what are the rules, what are the limitations uh, what, what, what's possible for somebody to achieve in this? And, and does that make sense? And is that entertaining? And, and does that kind of, does that kind of flow? But specifically though, in Hunted by Fire, uh, magic is much more used almost as a, as an unknown threat in a lot of ways. It, it's something that the characters don't have a means to understand quite yet. They're not, uh, they're, they're interacting with it maybe, maybe in ways they don't, in, in kind of mysterious ways uh, on the fringes of, of what's happening to them and in the events of the story, but it's by no means a main, a main theme or a main, uh, a main tool that they use. So now this is based, your main character is a 15 year old and his name's Felix. So how, how did you develop that character? Where did that, where did he come from? Yeah. Yeah. So a lot of, uh, I, I think maybe a lot of authors probably do this to some extent, but Felix was developed a little bit from me when I was 15. And then I took aspects of other folks that I knew that, uh, that had displayed maybe some characteristics that I really liked or that I knew could be, that could make up a really good and memorable character. And I, uh, I, I kind of imbued them into him. And so when, uh, when Felix talks or when I write from Felix's perspective, there's a lot of, uh, I guess there's a lot of that that kind of goes into it, and 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 a lot of uh, a lot of those personality traits that I kind of pick up. But uh, but by helping, I, I think kind of having it from my own perspective there first really kind of helps. I think kind of set a good realistic character when when a reader's writing it, so he sounds believable and and he's uh, he can immerse them in a, in the same way because he uh, what he sees and what he feels is relatable. 
in a lot of ways. So it kind of started with me. So in a lot of ways, but uh, like I said, kind of pulling in and mixing different traits from uh, from different folks that I know and different uh, and different people that uh, you experience in life. Well, you know, I was I was surprised to learn that like twenty to fifty percent of people have no internal dialogue oh, yeah. in their minds. <laughs> Right, you've probably heard this. And do you have an internal monologue? Can you I, hear your characters? Is that how you create dialogue, or is it some other way? No, you know, you know, I'm actually, I would say, I'm definitely part of that twenty to fifty percent. Right, I don't have an internal monologue <laughs> of any of any kind. I'm not sure how that works. Really, it'd be interesting to know a little bit more about <laughs> that. But uh, it, what goes through my head if if it's not dialogue? What goes through? Maybe it's just pictures. Who knows? <laughs> but uh, no, I, you know what? I think I, I kind of I like to speak out loud a little bit sometimes as I as it, you write and you. It, it helps, I think, a lot of ways. Like, would somebody actually say so-and-so? Well, if you say it out loud, you can kind of get a good gist. And, and would that person say that if they were 15? Would they say that in this kind of situation? Would they say that uh, with the type of personality that they have? Uh, and you can and you can kind of tweak and alter it based on that. But that's what, that's what editing sports use. Editing helps. Now, the timing. So when you, when you do a different timing, like you said, this is maybe 1,400 or somewhere. You know, some you you leave it kind of open, but do you kind of focus or do you worry about the language, the slang, and the behaviors of your people, or do they fit the time of fourteen hundred, or do they fit today? Like, how do you do that? Yes, very much so. I uh, that's actually that that occurs all the time when when I'm doing something because, or when I'm doing something when I'm writing uh, when I'm writing something about what they're going to say because I find uh, it's so easy to make a slip and say something that refers to let's say like modern day slang or, or that a technology that maybe existed exists now, but doesn't exist back then. Like for example, uh, the other day I had a character who was thinking about uh, something and, and he didn't miss, he didn't understand something that another character told him. So he said, I, I actually physically wrote out, it didn't compute. And then I sat there and I said, well, that doesn't make any kind of sense at all because <laughs> that doesn't fit the, uh, that wouldn't fit the time nor place nor uh, yeah. Would, would anybody have any idea of what a computer is? So it, uh, yeah, it kind of slips in there, but um, you do your best to, kind of, I think, take it out while still trying to be uh, relevant to, to the language that uh, of the current day. Do you kind of go back and study that time period, or do you kind of look at old papers or uh, something like that? Like, how do you go listen to old Lita Ford tapes? Like, what what to get back to the fourteen hundreds? <laughs> what do you? Yeah, start to go to the local library. No, I. Uh, no, you know, it's the language. I think I, it was really important for because it's for it's for young it's for young adults, right? It's for teenagers in a lot of ways, and so I didn't want any I didn't want too much of the language to be um, unreadable or unrelatable in a lot of ways. So I, I wanted the language that the characters had and the way that they spoke to be modern enough for them to understand, but just to just to overtly or just to miss, I should say, any just any kind of major technological references or, or anything like that to keep it, uh, to keep the story going and, and to keep things from kind of tripping up, I guess. Right. So, so I don't think, uh, I don't know if a young person, you know, if you ever, I, I think back to in high school when I had to read uh, Frankenstein by Mary Shelley, which is, you know, 1800s era and such different language. It's so, it's so, so different. And I don't know if, uh, I don't know if that would uh, go over very well to the young person picking up a book, hope going to chapters, picking up the book or, or something, hoping that it's going to be a, uh, Hoping it's going to be their next great find, and uh, and then they they open it up and they and, it, and it's all older English. So I definitely definitely wanted to avoid that in every way. Uh, so keeping the language as modern as possible was a good way to kind of I think avoid that. What type of restrictions are placed on young adult stories as as opposed to stories that are exclusively written for adults? 
Yeah. Well, it's, it's a lot of things I think you could probably, uh, you probably would think of and, and imagine, right? Like, uh, I think sexual overt, any, any kind of drug, lots of drug use or, or, uh, a lot of the more adult themes of gore and, um, things like that. Um, a lot of the darker things you kind of have to avoid, but there's kind of a challenge in that, I think, in a lot of ways too, because kids nowadays, they're so, they're so exposed to everything, right? And it takes a lot to surprise them or, or make them, make them feel a certain way without having it overtly adult. And that's a, that's a line that's really hard to tread. I, uh, you're not writing a lot of sex and violence. in it. Oh no. Oh no. I'm trying to, <laughs> I want, I want parents to buy the book and be happy. They bought the book <laughs> for their kid. But, uh, no, I thought, um, Harry Potter did that really well, kind of closer towards the end there. Uh, Harry Potter, of course, does a lot of things very well, but, uh, towards the end of the books of Harry Potter, there's a, there's a couple of instances where it just, very elegantly touches on the possibility of something darker with one of the villains and, and, and Hermione, one of the main characters there, but she did an excellent job of, of touching on it and then totally skating by it. And so that was something that I always wanted to emulate if it was ever, um, whenever those, whenever those kind of themes might ever pop up, not that they pop up ever, uh, or very often, but, uh, it, you know, like it's, it's hard sometimes, I think, to kind of draw, to walk that line of being completely PG, I guess, in a lot of ways, but still being faithful to what could be happening out there in a way that could engage uh, a teenager nowadays with all the, with all they're exposed to. The way I understand this, it's book one. So you're planning a series of books yeah. on this. Uh, how, do, how do you do that originally? Do you have this kind of mapped out of how many books you want to do and how many themes and, and, things you want your characters to go through or is it something that happens just as you go yeah no so definitely there, there is definitely a, an overarching plan for sure so you uh at least in my case and, and i know of course everybody has their own little way of doing the of things like this and it's so interesting to hear those for me i had wanted to start my characters in a place where they were the most uh adaptable and the most or the most changeable i guess the most malleable really is the better way to say it where they're younger and there's lots of things that could happen to them and they don't really know exactly where their lives are going to head yet or how they're going to have to adapt and, and change to suit their surroundings and what will happen to them. But um, in terms of the, where you kind of want to aim this thing, this kind of series and what kind of story you want to tell, I, I I had some scenes in my head that I always really imagined that I always dreamed of writing one day that kind of building up towards big, epic, kind of grandiose scenes, emotional scenes, uh uh, something that would really, things that really kind of tugged on me or that I, I would imagine would tug on me as a, as a young person or as a reader that I really wanted to have other people experience. So, but a lot of those scenes, you know, like, and, and so you kind of, I think, build towards those scenes a little bit every time. Uh, there's probably a couple throughout each book that, uh, that you, you want to put in there and, because you're trying to tell these emotional scenes and these and these things that will really impact people. So in terms of the the direction, I would kind of think it's where's the where do those scenes kind of lead you, and what kind of characters have to be in those scenes to to make them real and uh, and and emotional. And that would be where the stories would lead to and from, I guess. I'm wondering how you keep track of everything in in your series novels. Um, do you have a do you have a system that you use? Do you um, did you create a series Bible? Um, how, how do you do that? Yeah, I, I think a series Bible is maybe the way that people would refer to it as. I when I started doing originally was 
I found it difficult when I was editing chapters uh, early on and trying to kind of tie in the bigger story. I, I found I would lose little things that I wanted to hook in later on to, to, to add richness to the story. So I ended up with every chapter, I would have a separate document. I would ju- and I would jot down things that had happened and uh, whatever a character, maybe a character might have referred to a country far off in the world or Maybe they would have referred to some some kind of technology or some kind of political event or, or relationship or, or or anything like that. So I kind of just started to collect all these chapter notes uh, as I wrote all these chapters. And so then, to your point, I had to kind of conglomerate them. So then I spent some time after the first book was done uh, collecting it all on uh, on a big Bible, I guess, a document that that uh, that I have, and and I do that now still with any kind of book that uh, with the book that I'm doing now, the second one, I. I do that every chapter and, and just kind of take these little notes and make sure that they don't crisscross and, and kind of reread them every now and then and keep it all fresh in the mind to uh, to make sure there's uh, I'm following all the rules, as it were. Is, is each book going to stand on their own or are people going to have to read this uh, from book one on? Uh, yeah, no, it's definitely a, definitely a series that they would have to read from book one on to uh, to really get the full breadth of the character. So uh, that's kind of the vision right now, maybe doing a series of, Maybe five or six or seven, just kind of just going, just kind of keep going. Some and have something that not only tells a really epic and, and awesome story that somebody could, but something that could, uh, something that somebody could be really excited to to pick up one day and go, oh, there's there's not only one book, there's seven. That's awesome, and they can delve into that for a really long time. That's something that I always wanted to. With each book, uh, and now you've got book one here. Um, is there a subtext or a theme or some sort of thing you want people to get out of the book besides the entertainment value of, of a fantasy? Yeah. Yeah. There, there is a slight, uh, there is a slight uh, theme there for sure that I would hope some people would pick up. And it's related to high school, uh, and STEM, um, STEM subjects that people experience. I find that I guess out there in the world, like a lot of books and, and media are focused on young men. Or young people really have characters who always get really good at physical combat. It's and that's fun. It's exciting, and, and people are drawn to that. Me included, right? It's always a great. It's always great uh, to have that kind of conflict uh, to read. But Hunted by Fire, I think, makes a slight distinction. It has a lot of that in it too. But it makes a slight distinction because real life, I don't think, is always like that. Uh, when you're a kid growing up, many, if not all, the biggest battles you'll face, uh, they can't be solved physically. They can only be solved mentally with um, you know, like things like discipline and cooperation and logic and force of will and assertiveness and, and whatnot. So it, it was important to have a main character for a young adult fantasy book uh, that a teenager could really root for, um, but who is really well armed to, to solve all their problems uh, with their mind in a lot of ways. And then uh, that's related, I think, too, to the going back to the whole STEM thing, because in high school, a lot of kids are trying to find, figure out who they are and they're trying to figure out what they're going to do with their life. Everybody always asks them, right? It's like the number one question you ask of somebody who's between the ages of 16 and 22. What are you going to do? Like, what's the next thing you're going to do? Like, what do you think you're drawn to? And uh, I think they're like, you know, there's this kind of big dichotomy of either being an arts kid or a science kid. And that's how I, that's how it was pitched to me. Or that's how I understood it when I was that age. You know, you're trying to figure out what you're good at. And, and, and sometimes you might categorize yourself as an arts kid or a science kid if you maybe get a bad grade at something or if you struggle with a teacher that you don't relate to or sometimes a parent can can kind of categorize a child like that too. It, it all depends. But uh, 
either way it happens, I find obviously that most are, are avoidant of the maths and the sciences and the engineering and the, and the statistics. And it's too bad, I think, in a lot of ways, because there's so much that you can do in the world that relates to that. Uh, you can do lots, you can do lots with both. But for somebody who reads Hunted by Fire uh, and who experiences the challenges that Felix has as a character, I'd really hope that even if they're really drawn later in life to something artsy or something to, with communications, like all those really important things too, I'd hope that they would maybe be encouraged or excited to just try again to kind of grasp at maths and sciences before they kind of write it off right away when they're when they're 16 and, and rule it is not for them. Yeah, like I wanted to be a DJ. Spinning <laughs> <laughs> yeah. tracks, yeah. You could still do yeah. that. I'm, I'm sure you could. I'm sure you could pick that up and, and have a go at that. I think it'd be a good sign. No. No, I... no, 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 I'm, I'm too good of a dancer, so I'm going to keep on dancing, mm. you know, taking over for Ellen. Dancing right away. Yeah, taking over for the Ellen show. <laughs> so where does this start for someone like you? How did you, I mean, when you were back in high school, is this something you always saw that you're going to be this writer and you're going to be writing books like this and fantasies or was it kind of something that came along later? Yeah, no, I, you know, I never really envisioned myself writing a book not until I was older. But when I when I was in high school, I was a, I was an avid consumer of all things. I I was I was seeking out books, anything that you know, all, you, you go through all the great ones so fast, you devour those in a day, and uh, you seek something else to kind of either get you by or, or find a role model in or, or something that is a, some a little bit of escapism when you're kind of going through the grind of of high school or of growing up really in a lot of ways. So it's uh, when I went to university in, in Canadian university, we, uh, we, you know, I, I did an arts program and I, I read so much uh, as an assignment and not really so much for fun that I kind of actually got out of writing. And then it wasn't really until I uh, was a little bit, I was kind of in my mid twenties that I picked it up again because I, I suddenly felt this need to, I really wanted to make, to write the book that I would have loved as a kid because Sometimes it's really hard to find good books as a kid, especially as a young male. Not to say anything about the young females out there, but there's lots of there's lots of young adult fantasy for for young females and and lots of stuff they love and, and are really passionate about. And uh, I think it's a little bit harder to find a good book as a young as a young man or as a parent of a young man in a lot of ways. So I wanted to I wanted to write something that I would have really resonated with and something that I think they would really resonate with as well when they read it. Yeah, I mean, so was there something that actually encouraged you to actually try and write a book and see if you could get it published, or was there someone or something, or how did that come about? Yeah, actually, you're right. So there, there was a couple little moments uh, along the way. So in high school, uh, you know, I, of course, naturally grabbed, I was, I felt like the thing I was naturally good at was, was English. I was always good at writing and reading and 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 I excelled in English very well and there's a couple uh, assignments that were given to us once in one in grade grade 10 and one in grade 12 where you're given your own story to write up your own you can make your own fantasy story or it could be about whatever you wanted the world was your oyster it just had to it had to be eloquent and, and you had to write it out and it had to be several pages long I I, I found that when I started those assignments I really latched onto them and I and I they became little passion projects of mine, and so specifically the one in grade twelve, there there was a there was a girl in high school who, um, you know, and she she was the most popular girl in school, you know, classic classic story like that. Um, she was a friend, 
but she didn't really relate at all to English. She wasn't interested in school. She was interested in partying and in in being cool and, and whatnot. And so we were in the same English class. And so I had written this passion project of, you know, of, of cat people and, and this, this fantasy world of cat people and this revenge story that was going on. And it was, it was kind of, it was fresh and melodramatic, but, uh, but it was, uh, it was, it was fun for me to do. And so I remember on the day we handed it all to the teacher <laughs> and then the teacher, unbeknownst to us all, stood up and said, okay, well, great. Now you're all going to read each other's and edit them. And that was mortifying <laughs> because I had no idea that anybody else was going to read this, this kind of nerdy, passion project that I had had and and lo and behold and I should have known this ahead of time that something this would happen but lo and behold my story went right to this girl's desk and you know so she you know opened it up and was reading it and and I had I had one in front of me so I read mine really quickly you know sweating the whole time wondering what she was going to say and uh I was prepared for all sorts of kind of responses that maybe were discouraging or or something that would be uh uh something terrifying I guess but uh to my surprise, she slammed it. I remember she slammed the paper back on the desk. She stood up and she said, this is the best thing I've ever read in my life. And then marched over to my desk and threw it down on my desk. And I was blown away. I, uh, I, uh, it was such a, it was such a, one of those memorable moments that you have from your youth. I was stunned. And I vaguely remember the teacher kind of, kind of shouting and saying something to this girl at the time. But, uh, but yeah, but it, it meant a lot to me that something that I had, written or something that I had done or created had such an effect on somebody like that, I didn't think it would ever be possible. Well, at least you didn't make her go jump out the window or something. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> that would have been the opposite reaction. That would have been, yeah, that would have been horrible, of course, but uh, not fun at all. But so I guess basically fast forwarding back to when I was 25 and I kind of sat by my computer one day and typed out a few words that that moment reminded me that it might be possible. It might be it might be something that you could do to, to kind of have that same effect, but on uh, but on young people as a whole in a way that I kind of wanted to to have for myself at the time. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, and and well, in today's world too, with social media and uh, so much easy access to someone like yourself, you know, when you're putting out a book, like people can just say and do anything they want. How how do you regulate that, or or do you do you pay attention to reviews? or what people are saying or doing about you, or do you kind of stay away from that? No, I, I keep a thumb on it a little bit. It's uh, in terms of reviews, they've, uh, they've been decent so far. They haven't, nobody's been to, uh, nobody's been too mean. Um, but I value the feedback most from people who I know are, they're either, they're either right in that age range that I'm trying to hint. Like if they're, you know, they're, they're 12 to 12 to 18, uh, young man, young woman sort of idea. Like those ones mean a little bit more to me. I love reading those ones a little bit extra carefully uh, to, to try and absorb everything that I can. And then of course, people that uh, people, people who have no stake in it at all. So people who, who can, who assess the book and, and what it's worth and what it's saying and, and it's entertainment value from a, from a point that's, uh, that's uh, a bit outside the realm of being just a simple consumer in a way. So so I guess I guess yes I, I definitely keep a bit of a thumb on it though the uh, the feedback that you would get from stuff like that wouldn't deviate from the scenes that you eventually want to write it would more so just I think affect how you write them and hopefully all for the better yeah yeah well of course do you think writing this first book and getting it out how do you think it's changed you as a writer I think it kind of just started the writing journey in a lot of ways I uh, 
I wondered when I wrote it at the time, because it was so new and such a task to undertake. I, I wondered if once I once I had done it and put it out there, if I was just going to be kind of done, like I like you know like how sometimes you you accomplish a goal and and then you move on, but. I really learned that even though I put it out there, I was so, I was still so hungry to keep telling the story and to, to really, to really elicit emotions from the, from the folks that, uh, from the folks that read it, that uh, I kind of realized that it's going to be something that's part of me for a, for a long time coming. And that I, and that's not something I, I typically expected. I, I, I wasn't sure when, um, or I wasn't sure how that would work in a lot of ways, but that was, that was the biggest surprise on my end. So what's next for you now? The book's out now and you're doing a little touring or a little work promoting it. Um, you're working on book two, you said? Yeah, working on book two. I'm about 70% done. Um, and, uh, and yeah, and so, and so life rolls on in that way, right? Just, just right in the, right in the second one, getting it done, finished, polished, sending that out there, right in the third one and uh, kind of continuing on this journey that's been, that's been starting and to hopefully make this, like I said, the series that is uh, that tells a grand and, and exciting story. Well, do you, do you see yourself ever uh, changing the type of writing you're doing from fantasy to something different? I don't know. I, you know, what? actually, I, I, I've maybe pictured myself maybe down the road altering from young adults to adult writing, but no, I don't think I've ever actually considered not writing in fantasy, and I think that's mostly just because fantasy was what I always loved to read. I wasn't really too, too interested in other stuff. Sometimes, sometimes things, the odd thing would pop up, but fantasy was the, was the bread and butter for me that excited me uh, for a lot, for most of my life and still does. So I don't think, uh, I think staying in that realm would just be the most fun in the, in a lot of ways. So how do people find you? How do people find Jim? Uh, you're on social media, you're on website. Um, where, whereabouts do people come and find you? Yeah, I, I am on social media, though I don't claim to be the master at it. Um, that that maybe that maybe people say I should be, but uh, I, I'm on Instagram. Instagram is probably the most active one for me. At author Jim Hepburn, I'm on Facebook as author Jim Hepburn also, and then you can also find my website www.authorjimhepburn.ca. Perfect. Of course, we'll have that up for people to find it, so they can find you with one click. Sure. Real super easy and stuff. You must have been writing some of some of this over the pandemic, I would imagine. How was that for you? I was, I was, and it was decent. Though I, um, over the pandemic, I had several friends who had been laid off uh, at the time. Though I, I, for whatever reason, the job that I was in right then, I was, I was there full time. So it, nothing really changed too much for me, apart from the fact that there wasn't much to do afterwards. At work, there wasn't a lot of socializing, so it was a bit, of, it was, it was tough. But I think it really helped um, vent a lot of the. Uh, the uncertainty that was going on at the time. So, yeah, yeah, it's, really, it's interesting times, you know. Do you think any of the weird events going on around, or the stress and the the, the fights and the the trucker campaign up there and all that? Do you think any of that sort of seeps into your writing? Do you think it makes it a little darker at times? I don't know about darker. I would hope. I, I hope this actually. I hope it makes things more intense. And I think that's probably important for a young person in, in, in the same things too, because I think young people feel things a little bit more intensely than us, us seasoned veterans do who have a little bit more emotional uh, regulation and a little bit more life experience. So I would hope that maybe that intensity that might be in there uh, could just help it relate more. Ideally, who knows? Yeah, yeah, it's hard to say. Something you'll see later when you get older and look back, when oh, you yeah? lead a Ford's age. 
Yeah. Right. Well, anyway, we've had a good conversation. Now, of course, the, the, your latest book or your new book, your first book, book one of Fires of Innovation, and it's Hunted by Fire. And the, uh, our guest has been the author of this book, Jim Hepburn. Thank you for being here. Yeah. Thanks for having me, guys. Good to meet you. Thanks, Jim. You've been listening to the House of Mystery radio show. To find out more about our guests, hosts, or shows, go to www.houseofmystery.com. Show's over for now. Was it as good for you as it was for me? Yeah. Good night. This has been a production of Something Weird Media. I'll be back. You've been listening to the House of Mystery radio show. To find out more about our guests, hosts, or shows, go to www.houseofmystery.com. Show is over for now. Was it as good for you as it was for me? Yeah. Good night. This has been a production of Something Weird Media. I'll be back.